seminary officer for six years. He's a seminary graduate. He was a church planter, a senior pastor, an executive pastor, a Bible college vice president for 35 years. So he's got a little bit of experience. Yeah, you can clap. Um, that's okay. Uh, so if none of those things resonated with you, maybe being a grandfather of four kids will help you. Uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, but I don't say any of this to make him look bigger because we don't want to shine the light on Dick, but Dick wants to shine the light on Jesus this morning. And so I've invited him to do that. You know, and we each pastors get one message to speak, right, That's Dick? That's right. We have one message. Yes. And we figure out what it is, and then we just spend the rest of our career speaking it. So this is Dick's one message this there morning. There you go. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Dick Spear. Where do I stand? Uh, I go up there, but oh, okay. you can do it down there if you want. Okay, well, it's easier to dance up here. I know that. <laughs> Hey, good morning. Well, it's a, it's a treat to, to be with you this morning. Let me uh, just kind of get oriented. Uh, whenever you visit somewhere, you got to know the rules and, uh, and the height of stuff. I, I, was, uh, I was whining this morning to the pastoral team that um, I haven't preached in about four months. And so i got lots to say. And so we'll probably stay through lunch You'll have it catered. Uh, you can eat and play. No, we're not going to do that. In fact, uh, if some of you finish before I do, would you just be patient with me? <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll get there. Um, I, I was uh, kind of jesting with uh, your pastor uh, that I, I really have this sense that uh, it, it can be modified a little bit, but we all have, at least my heart's desire is, we all figure out what our life message is. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and in, in about 30 minutes you're gonna understand why I say this. But but um, I think God uh, creates all of us on purpose. If you read the, the book of uh, Genesis, you'll come to grips with something. Uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that. But as you see God creating in the book of Genesis, when it comes to to everything he's created, uh, you, you'll note that it comes to being out of his voice, out of his breath, out of his heart. And so in kind of in scientific ways and in spiritual ways, they kind of collide in this kind of theological place where, where you and I, in the end, would probably be accurate in saying we exist because his breath is constant. His breath says stay in force. And the, and the other side of that is that the minute he withdraws his breath from you and I, it's over. We just, we just, it just ends. Now, are we talking about uh, death? No, not so much death, although that, that could be uh, probably a part of that. But um, when you start, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sounding a little philosophical. Maybe that's what retirement does to somebody. I, I don't know. But but I was pondering this the other day, and I just, as I was before the Lord, I felt his breath. I felt the wind go by, by my ears as I, as I was worshiping him. And, and I was pondering and meditating on these verses, and, and I was just saying, Lord, you know, thank you for creating the heavens and the earth. They stay in force because he has spoken them, and it is his heart's desire that they stay in force. But at the minute he inhales, it's over. The twinkling of an eye, just gone. And everything from that point on in the book of Genesis chapter 1, it also by and large ends. The animals, the fruit, the rivers, the fish in the sea, and mankind as we know it. 
And so um, it gives me great delight to, to this morning to tell you that, that I think that every one of us have been created on purpose. My concern is that so many of us don't find that purpose. And let, let, me, uh, let me backtrack for just a minute. Um, okay, so um, I uh, was commissioned uh, as a young military officer. I was an infantry officer, uh, went through ROTC up at Eastern uh, a number of years ago in the 60s. Uh, commission in 1971, and uh, like Forrest Gump, I, I fell into, uh, over a six-year career, uh, I guess that isn't really a career, but a six-year stint, uh, I, I fell into probably four of the more premier opportunities that any young officer could ever do. The one that, that really got my attention, though, and helped me come to the, the point that I am at today is I was uh, serving as a general's aide to a commanding general in Europe. And uh, if you've ever been in the military, you'll note that you can never become a general if you've not been an aide to one. And that's kind of a biblical principle, although the military doesn't say that. But once you've become an aide to a general, you're politically you know, put in place to follow him all the way up. And uh, then it'll be your turn, and then you, of course, bring people with you. I didn't realize that at, 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 uh, up front, but then I started making note of all the generals that I would eventually meet because of the relationships with my boss, and they had all served as, as generals' aides. And I, I thought, wow, this would be interesting. The problem with that idea is that when I was a general's aide, I got to look over his shoulder. If you could kind of just philosophically see me looking over the, the shoulder of the general as he went about his business. We literally, I'd get in an airplane uh, every morning or a helicopter and we would go to some exotic place in Europe. Uh, we would go to the Alps one day and to the Mediterranean and another. And we just were just, it's this amazing, idyllic kind of a setting. But as I was looking over his shoulder, I saw marriages falling apart. Kids going to hell in families. Just, I mean, there, there wasn't, other than the, other than the, you know, the incredible the emotional high you get with, with people bowing down at your feet. Uh, after that all goes away, marriages and families and, and all of that stuff, it just was crumbling around every one of these officers. And I thought, and I would come home to my wife and we didn't have kids yet. And I would say, honey, I don't know about you, but is it okay that we don't stay around very long in this thing called the United States Army? Because our marriage will, you know, will fall apart probably. Or our kids will just become shambles. She said, yeah, let's get out. Well, the one that really got my attention was uh, my boss would eventually come to a place of retirement. And, uh, and so I had to put together what we call swan songs. That is you know, kind of retirement parties all over Europe. And, uh, and so uh, at, at, I think we did three or four of these parties. And at two of the parties, I had a conversation that would change my life. Uh, they weren't exactly the same, but they were in the same genre. And that is talking to a, a middle grade officer. He'd been in, let's pick one. Uh, he'd been in 15 years. He was a major on the lieutenant colonel list. And so he was uh, on his way up. And uh, he said to me, hey, Spear, what are you going to do uh, after your boss retires? And, and, I, and I said, well, uh, sir, I'm going I'm to resign my commission. I'm going to go to seminary. And uh, you'll hear a little bit of that story in just a second. And, he, and, and I'll, I'll never forget it. He, here, here's a guy that's five years from the first opportunity to retire. 
and he will probably stay to 30. And if he doesn't make general officer, he'll have to retire at 30. And if he makes general officer, like mine, he can go to 35 and beyond sometimes. And, uh, and here's this guy after 15 years in the military, and it's the best schools and the best opportunities and the best jobs. He looks me right in the eye and he said, I only wish I knew what to do with the rest of my life like that. And I'm thinking, sold. I'm getting out of this place because this, if that's what I'm going to look like in 15 years, I don't want to be there. I don't want to know. I don't want to be a person that doesn't know what they're going to do. Now, I might add, I wasn't so sure what I wanted to do with my life. I only knew one thing, and that is get out and go to school. And so I get out and go to school. And then uh, at, at the end of my seminary career, I was working at a church in Fresno, California. Uh, that's where my, my seminary was. And uh, I, was, I was working with two other guys. They, they were on my team. I was a college pastor. And uh, we would pray every week together at the particular point of uh, time in a particular little office. And, uh, and so I, one day, it was, it was in the spring, and uh, I was getting a little anxious about my future. Uh, I had been in some conversations about some opportunities, but didn't feel c- clarity and so uh, we were praying together, and we were in a little office that uh, was like uh, I could almost touch the walls. So it was a, little, it was a closet that was converted into an office. And, uh, and so I, I was, uh, was praying in that room, and uh, uh, these two guys that were praying with me uh, were not Pentecostals. Now, I was. So our prayer time was always fascinating because sometimes I'd pray out loud in an unknown language. It kind of was, my theology says that I can get built up as I do that. In fact, my theology also says that there's a potential for revelation that could come, and, and it will come with clarity uh, if it gets interpreted or if you just wait on the Lord. And so we're praying, and the other two guys in the room, but, but they're just great guys. We're, you know, both college ministry guys in the city, and so we would get together and we would pray. And uh, we're praying, and I'm, I thought I was spiritual. All of a sudden, I hear a thud. Now, we were three of us in chairs sitting in this little, this little room. And I hear a thud. And I, and I kind of want to stay spiritual, but I open up one eye, and here's my non-Pentecostal guy laying on the floor, out cold, not moving. One concern was to call 911. But he was young, he was strong, and I, I thought, well, I'll, just, I'll leave him alone for a minute. About five minutes later, another thud. Second guy on the floor. I thought 911 again. But I thought, no, uh, because I'll have to answer some stupid questions. And so let me just, you know, why didn't you revive them? Why didn't you check their pulse? You know, so I thought, no, I'll just, okay, Lord, you're up to something. About five minutes later, I thought to myself, now why aren't I on the floor? And so, I just gently got out of my chair and laid down. But you know what happened while I was there? Now, you've, if you've ever been in Fresno, they have some of the worst uh, traffic accidents on the freeways in all of America. The fog that comes to the San Joaquin Valley is pathetic. Well, on that day, there was no fog on the freeway. There was no fog in Fresno. But a fog was coming under the door into my little office and it filled the room and I wanted I wanted to watch it because I knew that I was in a very special place and then in my spirit I heard the Lord say 
close your eyes. And so I would close my eyes. And as my eyes were closed, uh, the Lord took me to a, metaphorically, but really almost physically speaking, he took me to a rifle range, what I would have recognized in in a past life. And uh, I was in that rifle range, and I was in a prone position, and I was looking at targets, and there were four successive targets, one close and then two, uh, two middle range and one really far out. And, and in my spirit, I said, Lord, why am I here? And he said, here is your life. Now, you've got to understand. I was frustrated. I was insecure. I was, you know, I'd left a career that, that probably could have taken me someplace. And, and, and yet... Um, I was trying to be vulnerable. I was trying to be the legitimate believer who was trying to follow one step after the Lord and, and follow his leading and do what he says. And yet I wasn't hearing a lot. And, and, and I was finishing school. And, you know, there, there were opportunities, but I didn't feel good about those opportunities. And, and then he says, close your eyes and see your life. I said, Lord, what are those targets? He said, I'm only letting you in on the first one. And a sense of the other three. Well, that was a significant point in my life because I heard very clearly what I would do. And my wife and I went on to go plant a church uh, that season. And uh, it was, uh, you know, incredibly developmental time of my life. The reason I tell you this story is, if you have your Bibles, just open them up to, uh, uh, people have Bibles still. And, you know, I know Jamie probably has his Bible on this little black thing. Uh, but uh, and I do too. I've I've noticed that I can find things in my Bible a lot quicker than you can on your on your uh, whatever you got in your hand. Your, so I mean I you know like tell me give me a scripture I can find it. You gotta you gotta wait for that little thing to find the internet. And so anyway, so it's good it's good that you one way or the other have Bibles. I don't mean to bespeak those of you that are on following uh, on on this little iPhones. Uh, open your Bible stacks, uh, chapter 19. We're going to start there in just a second. The reason for the story is that, um, uh, and you'll, you'll just see that the, the title of the message today is, is, is a message in, just entitled, uh, Living a Life Centered on the Heart of God. Living a Life Centered on the Heart of God. I've, I've, I've condensed it, just centered on the heart of God. But really, if you want to elongate it, it's living your life, living my life, living our lives uh, together, centered on the heart of God. Um, now, this, this story that I've just shared with you is, is significant because uh, about uh, 22 years later, uh, I, uh, uh, my wife and I are on our 25th wedding anniversary. Uh, just before uh, uh, that anniversary, we took our kids to Hawaii. Uh, and uh, after a week being in Hawaii together, we sent them home. And uh, Sue and I left this little condo with our kids. And... Uh, and, and went to a gazillion star hotel and spent five days there uh, just uh, reminiscing and celebrating our 25 years together. Uh, that was uh, almost 18 years ago. Uh, what was interesting about that time is I'd, I'd taken a book along uh, that uh, was a book on leadership. Uh, you know, pastors are leadership junkies. And, uh, and other things. But uh, I, I'd taken a book along, and it was an edited book. So there were 12 different authors uh, in this book on leadership. And uh, I, I just, uh, we were out at this, you know, Gazillion Star Hotel. I was in one of their 10 swimming pools, and we were, I was sitting under a palm tree. And, and uh, my wife was, uh, was sunbathing beside me. And uh, I just thought, well, I think I'll start reading this book. And I, and I opened it up, and I saw a middle chapter by a professor at uh, 
at a seminary on the West Coast, and uh, he was talking about leadership, especially the seasons of life and leadership. And I thought, well, that's, yeah, that's probably me. I think I'll read that. And I read that chapter in about an hour. And my wife, after I finished that chapter, my wife looks over at me and she says, what's wrong with you? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with me. I was laughing and crying at the same time. Have you ever been there? You ever laughed and cried at the same time? Now, for me, the reason I was laughing and crying at the same time was I was laughing because I had just discovered a significant thing about my life, that I was in a seasonal transition. Now, I'd been really frustrated. Uh, Jamie uh, would have met me in that season. Uh, in fact, I had I'd done all four of those targets, and I was only, you know, didn't feel like I was anywhere near the end of my life. And yet I was done. And so I was kind of walling around and, and hurting people and frustrating churches and kind of wondering, what in the world am I going to do with my life? And it was, uh, have you ever been there? In fact, I, I, would, I would bet that almost every one of you are there at some point of the day or the week or the year. It's a common, common thing that we, that we, that we face. I was laughing because I just, I just found something about my life and it would really begin to set me free. And, and I, so I was telling my wife, I said, okay, why the, tear, you know, why the tears? And I said, honey, I'm, I'm, I'm mad because I'm here all alone. I mean, she, she was there, but I mean, metaphorically, again, as a leader, I was here all, I, I, I discovered this almost in a vacuum. There was not a mentor, not an elder, not a leader, not a follower. There wasn't somebody standing or sitting next to me helping me see this thing. And so she said, really, really kind of captured uh, kind of the next, till now, the next season of my life. She said, so what are you going to do about it? She said, I said, honey, I'm, I'm going to make sure that every leader I ever, ever spend time with, they'll never have to feel what I feel right now. And so for the last 18 years... Uh, yeah, I've been pastoring, but, but mo the more fun thing for me is I've been helping people as aggressive as I can answer the two significant questions that I have, that this is the way I've put them together, two questions that I think are critical for every one of us. And if you want to write them down, this is, this is something fun to write down. And I would like you to ponder them for the rest of your life, if you'd like. Then the first one is, why did God create you? And secondly... What are you going to do about it? Because see, most of the time, and, and I would have to add that at that point in Hawaii, I was just chasing around, chasing my tail because I was, I was being busy. We were building churches. We were doing things that seemed profitable. But, in, but on the inside, there was a hollowness that was getting larger and larger and larger because I hadn't really spent time answering those two questions. Um, right after I got out of the military, uh, I thought, I have just, I literally had these thoughts. I have just really messed myself up by getting out of the military. I think I'm going to go pastor. And really, I was quite successful telling everybody where to go. How many really was? Go here, go there. Shut up, stand up, sit down. And I got good at that. Got really good at it. And now I'm going to go pastor and you can't get away with that stuff. Lord, I've really screwed myself. Can you say that in this church? Okay, good. So that's how this connects to, to Jamie's series. You know, things you can't say in church. Uh, and so, and so uh, 
I, I, I came to grips with those, those questions. And I'll tell you, there is such a freedom that comes when A, you know why God created you. And B, what are you going to do about it? Typically, we get one or the other. Usually, it is in reverse order. We start doing something that we're good at, and then we try to redefine ourselves in the eyes of God. That's backwards. I would suggest you may be okay with that, but I would prefer it to be the other way around. Discover why God created you, and I'll tell you how you figure that out. As you're reading the Word, all of a sudden, something just begins to glow as you're reading it. And, you, and you, I want you to underline it, underscore it, put it in, put it, note it in the front of your Bible. And as you finish your scriptures, there will be eight or ten verses in the Bible that have come alive to you. you. You look at them and then you put them together and you sit down with a mentor, with somebody like me. And, and as we look over each other's shoulders, I'll be able to under, help you understand that this is why God created you. And when you discover that, It does not take rocket science kind of education to discern what you ought to do about it. Three verses uh, that, uh, that glow in the dark for me. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through about 7. I was reading this uh, 17 years ago, and it just so, it just captured my heart. As, uh, As I was reading it, it begins like this. I know you, says the Lord. Well, those stories that I just told you were, were, you know, that and so many more were God's attempt to just capture my heart, to, to help me understand that if I would give him my life, that he would direct it. In fact, he would define it and direct it. Isaiah 40, verse 1 and following says, I know you, says the Lord. And then a couple of verses later, it says, and this is what I want to release through your life. You're going to say to the north, south, east, and the west. Give them up. Well, that glows in the dark for me. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your lives as a living sacrifice. And so as I was was reading that about 20 years ago, I just, I saw this altar that I struggled to get off, get up, and I had to, I had to kind of let go of everything that was defining me and get on this altar, literally, physically, and spiritually naked. And present my body as a living sacrifice. That would be worship to the Lord. That's not an easy deal. Not very pretty. I don't look good spiritually naked. And don't go there physically. (laughs) It gets worse. (laughs) And then Psalm 145 verse 4. The Lord said, Dick, I I want you to go to the generations and tell them of the goodness of the Lord. And so I could add seven or eight more, but you you begin to coddle those together. And you see in this season of my life that uh, my assignment is to tell you that the Lord has an incredible plan for your life. And if you'll center your life on him, he'll begin to show it to you. If you're in college or if you're retired, it doesn't make any difference where you are. He wants to take you into that next season. He wants to bring revelation that will lead you into more. He wants to clarify and expand and release in your life uh, just the good, his goodness. And it's a, it's a magnificent thing. Well, uh, okay, now I've got uh, three minutes to preach this message to you. So uh, that was introduction for those of you that like introductions. 
uh, we used to, the wonderful four-score pastor, Jack Hayford, he would, uh, his three cores of his message would be his introduction, and then he'd quickly go through it. And so um, I, I think he's discipled me well. But um, I, w- I want to just, uh, just if you're taking notes, uh, just capture these verses, and uh, uh, I think you'll begin to have a sense of, of what I've shared out of these stories and how now it comes out of scriptures also. Because when you look at scriptures, there, there, there are fascinating things that we just so quickly read by. Let me just, let me just show you th- uh, four verses real quickly. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, that classic phrase, that classic line where Joshua, at the end of his career, this is a, you know, one of the last things that we hear from Joshua, and, and he says in that, in that verse, Joshua 24, verse 15, but as for me and my house, what, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. And here is a guy that is saying, after all of the dust settles, I have discovered that a life centered on God is really what's being asked. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That, that resonates with me because now my fourth grandchild was born just this last week. Um, her name is Zoe, which uh, means breath or spirit. Uh, and that's uh, uh, really interesting. You, when you name something, uh, if you read scriptures, you, you see it manifest. And so my daughter, who's a YWAMer, and you know, if you've ever been to YWAM, they're they're dangerous. She's just so in your face with the gospel and all that kind of stuff. She, she her second child would be would be called Zoe uh, because uh, she wants the life and breath of God to be out there. And wouldn't you know it that after Zoe was born, when Zoe was born, she was born sucking in all that embryonic uh, stuff uh, in the mother's womb and uh, had a terrible start in her life. In fact, she was back in the hospital the day after she was born uh, in the ER overnight. And in and, uh, and, and my spirit, I was just praying for her. And I thought, you know, I should have been smarter than this. Because anybody that's brave enough to name their child after the spirit of the living God is going to take on the demonic, is going to take on darkness, is going to have to fight for their life. And sure enough, she did. She had to fight for her breath, fight for her life. And I may add today, she's this morning, she was sounding pretty good to me. She was crying. She was saying, Mommy, I want some more milk. And so uh, she, you know, she's alive and fine, but not without a fight. And so when I, when I hear these words, it says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm committed now to not only for my clan to serve the Lord, but I'll fight for them also. There's another verse that's really kind of fascinating. Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 18. I won't read the whole passage, but it's where uh, 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 the three uh, guys are going to get thrown into the fire. Uh, and uh, and, and they, they stand before the king and it says, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And so you'll, you'll, you'll see in that kind of language that, that uh, those, three, those three guys that are standing before uh, the king, before they're being thrown into the fire, says we're going to leave our lives centered on the heart of God. We're not going to deviate from that. And so it's a significant thing. And, and I might add, I, I, the, for those three guys to, to, to get ready and see the fire being heaped even hotter and hotter and hotter before they get thrown in, and even the soldiers that throw them in are, are burnt to smithereens as they throw them in, uh, for somebody to, 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 to be able to go do that, they've got to know that they've got a life centered on God. 
It's a significant thing. There's a, a third verse, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, are we keeping up? Yeah, Jeremiah chapter, uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, you'll note Nehemiah, remember, he's the guy that uh, goes and builds the wall. And if you read Nehemiah, it's a great book. In fact, I just uh, had devotions in that uh, book not long ago. And uh, in, in, in verse uh, uh, 4 and 5, uh, Nehemiah is serving the, the king. And the king says to me, what is... What is it that you want? He, you know, he had that look of sadness and he had that look of, of need. And the king recognized that. And if you've, if you've heard guys preach on this, it, it, it's true. It, you know, in those days, you, you had to look happy if you're in front of the king. I know that because it was, when I was a general's aide, I got up every morning and looked myself in the mirror and said, you better get happy because that, that general that you're serving is a mean guy. And if you look sad, he'll just bite your head off. So get happy now. So I know kind of what Nehemiah is going through. And so Nehemiah says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. And he gets his answer. And uh, the reason he can pray to the God of heaven, because he had a life that was centered on God. He knew that when he prayed, he'd get answers. He knew that when he prayed, he'd find direction. When he, when he prayed, he knew that he would come into intimacy with the holy God. I find that so fascinating because here he is a generation or two removed from, from, uh, from the homeland. In fact, he was probably born in captivity. And, uh, and yet, here's a, somebody, somebody raised him in a way that, uh, that his heart would be centered in God. And then uh, I love this last one, Judges uh, chapter 4, verse 9. If you've ever uh, read Judges, you'll see one kind of judge after another, some very famous ones. Here's a kind of couple of uh, obscure ones, uh, Deborah and Baruch. Uh, they kind of served at the same season. In chapter 4, we see Deborah and Baruch kind of weaving their way through scriptures. And, and uh, Deborah has just come to Baruch and says, Baruch, I hear God saying that this is what we ought to do. And, uh, and Baruch says, that's scary. You do it. I'll follow. And uh, Deborah tries to talk him out of it. And he says, no way, I'm, uh, I'll follow you. And, and this is her response. He says, very well, Deborah said, I'll go with you. But because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. And she can say that because she's got a life that's centered in God. She knows that God is going before her and following her. She knows that God has spoken to her. And God will get all of the credit. And uh, she's going to live a life centered in the heart of God. Now, uh, I want to just take you to the New Testament. And uh, you can, I want you to kind of see these principles uh, as, a, as a way of life this morning as we leave our time together. Uh, is that clock right? Okay, we'll, we'll hurry right along. Um, what, we're gonna, I want to talk just about uh, several things out of Acts chapter 20. But, but uh, for context, I want you to see Acts chapter 19. If you know Paul, uh, Paul now will become the significant writer of uh, much of the New Testament after the Gospels. And, and uh, the book of Acts kind of shows kind of where he goes and where he writes some of his letters uh, and uh, where he writes his letters to or from. And uh, so in, Act, in Acts chapter 19, um, we see Paul continuing on his journey. And it says, while Apollos was at Corinth, and so if you can see a map, 
Corinth, uh, you know, in the Mediterranean would be one place. And, uh, and so Apollos was at Corinth. Uh, Paul uh, took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And you can go look in your, your uh, Bible map in the back and you can see where Corinth is and you can see where Ephesus is. And uh, it's probably two or three or four days uh, a walk or ride or of, of sorts. And so, so we see Apollos stays uh, at Corinth and, and, and Paul heads to, uh, into the interior uh, to Ephesus where he found some of his disciples. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, so this is kind of a, a classic moment in the, in the New Testament where, where uh, Paul is kind of developing, uh, and, and the writer, Luke, as he captures this story, is developing a theology about who Jesus is and about who the Holy Spirit is. And I'm, we're not going to spend time there, but you just take note of that. And you can come back and look at this. So, so they find these disciples, and, and Paul asks them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no, no, we, we haven't even heard of this Holy Spirit. And so, and I might add that uh, uh, in a post-Christian era in America, in the, in the four, almost 40 years that I've, 35 years that I've pastored, uh, uh, this, this verse wouldn't have been as obscure as it is now because you can go to a person on the street today and you, you can just reenact this passage of Scripture. Have you heard about the Holy Spirit? No. Would you like to know about that? You know, so you, we, we see this written all over again in our own culture. And the answer, they answered and said, no, we've, we've not heard this. So Paul asked, well, what baptism did you receive? John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, just, just simply put that, that John's baptism was kind of a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was a, it was a bridge event in that uh, although most good Jews would get, especially uh, leaders and rabbis, would all get baptized uh, as, a, as a significant point of commitment to, to uh, the Word of God. And, uh, and so uh, John uh, continued that and kind of expanded that. And, uh, and so Paul now understands, but, understands this idea that, that, but that we've got to take them to the next step. And so Paul says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he told the people to believe uh, in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. And so on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of Jesus. Uh, just a pause there. Uh, we could spend weeks talking about this verse and the damage that has been done with just that verse. Uh, and, uh, but we won't. Um, so I'll just go right on. You, some of you can ask me later what I'm talking about. So when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. And so you can just see this: these 12 guys, these disciples that, that, that Paul has met in Ephesus. Uh, they were uh, you know, John the Baptist disciples. Now they're, bap they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They become disciples of Christ. And uh, then Paul goes on to, to, in verse 8, it says, Paul entered the uh, synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, publicly maligned him. And so Paul left them, and he, and, uh, he, he leaves the, uh, the, the place where he was teaching in the synagogues and uh, went to the hall of Tyrannius. And this went on for two years so that all of the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province 
of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So now that's the context for the next chapter. So you can see that Paul now spends uh, almost three years in this place called Ephesus. I've been there. Uh, I can just pick, almost picture where, where Paul is. And while he's there, the gospel kind of goes out to the whole area. You'll know that, that churches were being planted, although Paul was primarily in Ephesus. The word of the Lord went throughout uh, Asia Minor, which is now Turkey which, by the way, is uh, you know, land under distress in this season. And so that's, that's where that was. That's the context. So, so now if you, if you read uh, the rest of this chapter uh, and into chapter 20, you'll note that Paul spends some time in a handful of other cities, and then the word of the Lord kind of comes to him and says, go back to Jerusalem and uh, be there for, uh, for Passover. And, uh, and, and I'm sorry, be there for, uh, yes, Passover time. And, uh, and so he... Uh, uh, he, he starts going that way, and he, and he hits a couple of towns uh, and uh, says kind of farewell to them. And in, in chapter 20, verse uh, 17, if you're following along, uh, you'll see that he gets to, to Miletus. Uh, Miletus is about six or seven miles uh, from Ephesus. It's a coast town. Ephesus is upriver from Miletus. And uh, so he, he gets to Miletus, and uh, uh, you won't see this on the screen. I'll just read it to you. It says, from Miletus, Paul sent... Uh, uh, to, the, uh, to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, uh, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to Asia Minor, uh, to, the, to this province. And so what Paul says is, um, uh, as, he be, as he begins to say goodbye to the, the church at Ephesus, um, he begins, to, 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 he begins this, this litany by saying, you know how I lived among you. Remember the two questions that... Uh, that I asked at the first, uh, why did God create you and what you're going to do about it? Paul rehearses this now for the, the Ephesian church. And uh, in closing today, just let me just summarize what he says. Uh, and it, it's significant to me because um, so oftentimes uh, we get caught up with the destination of our life. And I, I think we ought to be concerned about that. But, but I also want us to get caught up about how we're getting there. So the where and the how are, are significant. And you're going to see this in Paul's language as we, as we finish this, uh, this message. But as Paul now says, you, you watched me. You knew how I was with you. Let me rehearse this because I want you to rehearse it with everybody else. And so today I'm just rehearsing as if I was with Paul in Miletus. I'm telling you what I heard. As Paul says goodbye to those folks, he's really talking to them about living a life centered in the heart of God. And he begins with a simple principle in verse 19. If you're taking notes, write this down. Serve with humility. That's kind of a how, not where. How? This is how I want you to live. I want you to serve with humility. He says, you remember when I was with you? I served you with humility and tears. I, I just, so many times I, I think of Paul as this dogmatic, you know, punching the lights out of the devil. He'll, he'll pick a fight and finish it quicker than, than you could get into the fray. And, and yet it says that, you know, you watched me. I served with humility and tears. And I might add that that's a, that's probably something that the Lord has been working on my life forever. Because, again, uh, in many ways, the Lord has been t- 
too gracious to me. It's come too easy. And, and in return, I've not been as humble as he's wanted me to be. And I, I work even work on that today with you. This will be an, uh, an ending kind of uh, life that, that has been given to me. I, I know that my kids and my wife, if they were here today, would say, this has been a fun thing to watch Dad do these last years. And the church that I've served, yeah. they would say, wow, he was humble some of the time. <laughs> Could have been more. And I would just say to you, some of that, some of you, this is going to come by really easy, but some of us, it's not been easy at all. For Paul, I, I know the, the tears is probably related to how painful it was for him to find humility. And so he looks at, at the elders at Miletus, the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he says, listen, you know how I was with you. Let's find humility. Secondly, in, uh, in verses uh, 20 and 21, he says, let's walk in integrity. And, and you just uh, see that passage where it says, you know, I didn't, I didn't hesitate to preach anything that would help you. Uh, in other words, he, he walked in integrity. Uh, he, he just took care of business. As, as I was a young pastor, uh, the very first church I ever planted, um, it was a hard thing if you've, if you ever been 30 and planning a church and, and uh, thought you knew everything and with every day you discovered you didn't, that's a painful leader to follow. And, and I was that leader and uh, full of myself and uh, full of them and vinegar. I had a supervisor that came to me one day when I was in kind of a distressful season. And uh, he told me his story and it really helped me. And that uh, he was a young pastor and he said, I, I think I would be a lot like you. And so he gets my attention. And he said, I went into, as a, as a senior leader of the church I was pastoring in Southern California, I, I went into a business deal with two of the members of, of my congregation. And that business deal went south. And those two that were in it with me declared bankruptcy. And uh, I could have declared bankruptcy also. And I'm not speaking pro or con good or bad if you've experienced bankruptcy. I've never have, and so I, I can't talk about the emotions of it at all. But, but he said, I, I heard the Lord say, I'll help you if you'll just uh, follow me. And he sensed that the Lord had asked him to resign his church, get, a, get two jobs, and pay off this debt, and then he'd restore him to leadership. And he did that. He spent eight or nine years out of the pastorate paying off the debt that was incurred by this bad business deal and then he went, into, went back into pastoring and had been so for the next 20 years. He was probably in his mid to late 50s by then. I remember being so stirred that I, I just, as he was telling the story, and I thought, Lord, I want, I want to become that kind of person. Well, the Lord says, you do. <laughs> it's going to be painful. And, and, I, and I would say, yeah, it has been wonderfully painful. Ephesus on wonderful. Wonderfully painful. And, and Paul basically saying, listen, be served with humility, walk in with integrity. And then I love these, uh, these next verses, verses 22 through 24. Discover and live out why you were created. Again, that's, that's, uh, I'll find that in every passage. So, uh, you know, forgive me, please. But discover and do what you were created and created for. Uh, Paul goes on to say in, in, in verses 23 through 24, he said, uh, 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 I, 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 I came here and I finished the race and I completed the task. 
that was given me. And so when when Paul would go to his churches, he would know exactly why God created him and what he was going to do about it. And that's the magnificent thing about his life and so many of the other lives that we read about in scriptures, that when we can, when we can discover that thing and then do that thing, then other things work. And so in this context, it was the church that sprung up in the, in the New Testament era because it was being fathered by a guy who knew what race he was called to and where he, what he was going to do. And so uh, it's a significant thing. The fourth thing that, that Paul talks about is in, in verses uh, 27 and 8. And uh, it, it just, it's, it, if you read those verses, really what it says is that Paul really committed to just release as many people as possible. Back to an earlier verse, it says that while he was in Ephesus, that the gospel went out throughout the area. And the reason for that was that if you came and sat with Paul, one of the things he would tell you is, okay, now go tell somebody what I just told you. Go share with that community over there. Go to that street, that street or that city and, and release what God has de- uh, deposited in you. He was really good at that. And then the last thing that he would say to the, the elders of Ephesus, he just said, he said uh, in verse um, uh, 32, now I commit you to God. And that was a, that's a classic kind of a, kind of a New Testament picture of, of him standing with the elders and, and stepping away and saying, I commit you to God. Well, if you're a leader standing next to Paul and he steps away from you, at, at, for, for a while you look like one as you're standing together. But when he steps away, it looks like two. And when he says, I commit you to God, what he's saying here is, now... Go duplicate yourself. And those elders would do a good job. They, they would, in fact, as you read more of, uh, of church history, they would, in fact, be people that did, in fact, what, what Paul said. If we're going to live out the heart of God, we've got to find humility, integrity. Answer the questions, why did God create you? Because the Lord wants us to release and duplicate. That's the assignment of this church. In fact, you could take all five of those things and say of this particular congregation, the Lord would like us to, to reflect on Pullman, Pullman Washington with uh, the kind of humility and integrity that is yet to be seen by believers. That everybody that leaves the doors of this place or the relationships that are found herein clearly understand why God created them and what they're going to do about it. They release more than they suck up and they develop and duplicate everywhere they go. That would be the kind of church that Paul was asking from the leadership of Ephesus and he would ask that of us today also. I'd like you to just close your eyes with me and the, leader, the worship team, come on up here and get ready to lead us in just a little bit more worship. But close your eyes with me, would you? And just uh, let, me, let me end with this psalm out of the same psalm that Jamie quoted out just the next couple of verses. And may this be a prayer this morning. A prayer uh, that the Holy Spirit would begin to blow on. It would be like you raising your sails of your life and the Holy Spirit begin to blow you in the right direction. Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5 says this. Show me your ways, O Lord. 
Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. My hope is in you all day long. With your eyes closed and just uh, allowing Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5 to resonate in your soul. Let me ask these, leave you with these questions and maybe you could answer them today or the days following. What have I learned from God or about God in this past week, month, or year that has or has not been put to use? How has God spoken, taught, or groomed me to fulfill His purposes? And what in my life needs to be changed in order for me to be more open and receptive to learning from God's heart for this next week, for this next season. God, I would just pray right now that as we worship you and we ponder these things before we leave this room, that, Lord, you would bring clarity, begin that journey of why did you create me? And begin to blow us, Lord, in the direction you have for our life. What are we going to do about it? Lord, just minister to us.